Welcome to All Business No Boundaries, a collection of supply chain stories by DHL Supply Chain, the North American leader in contract logistics. I'm your host, Will Haywood. This is a place for in-depth discussions on the supply chain challenges keeping you up at night. We're breaking beyond the boundaries that are limiting your supply chain. This episode is Network for Success, Creating a Culture of Connection and Cooperation. We are joined today by Tony Elkis, Head of Market Operations, Americas at Nokia, Jathwika Sahib, Hub Manager at Nokia, and Aaron Kistner, Senior Director of Operations at DHL Supply Chain. Let's dive in. All right. Well, good morning, and thanks to all three of you for being here today. I've been looking forward to this discussion. I'd like to start it with just a quick around-the-table intro of yourself and your organization. And Aaron, maybe if you could kick us off for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having us, too. We're excited about this. So my name is Aaron Kistner. I am the Senior Director of Operations for the Technology Sector for DHL Supply Chain. And I do have responsibility for Nokia and the Nokia relationship within North America and also hold some global relationship responsibilities for helping to continue to grow and further the business with the customer. Terrific. Jyotika? Hi, my name is Jyotika, Jyotika Sahib. And I'm so happy to be here today talking to all of you. I'm the hub manager, as we call it in Nokia terminology, a part of global distribution network, and which is in turn a part of logistics and trade management, which is in turn part of supply chain. So we have like typically six hubs all over the world and the Dallas hub, as we call it, which caters to North America. And I manage that hub with DHL from the Nokia side and also manage the relationship from the Nokia side with DHL on the hub operations. And I've been with Nokia for 15 years now, and I was lucky actually to be a part of Nokia in other geographies as well, like Asia Pacific and Canada and then US here. So and how long have you been in the States? I've been in US for almost 12 years now and living here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, great, great. Tony, as part of your intro, if you wouldn't mind just telling our audience who is Nokia today, I think everybody's got general familiarity with big telecom manufacturer, but I think you guys have had sort of different chapters in your evolution, and it'd be interesting for us to learn what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Will, and good to be here myself with the rest of the team here, so thanks for inviting us. My role now is head of market operations Americas for the MN business. What that means is basically our team works all the way across all the different teams in MN and, and works the planning side all the way through delivery to the customers. And we've got small teams set up to support and are aligned by customer across both North America and Latin America. So that's our team. I've been in the business for 20 plus years now and have had a mixture of global and regional roles. And like I said, currently operations for the America side on the MN side. But the, yeah, sorry more. to interrupt, but the, the MN or and then I'm not sure I'm hearing you. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, good yeah, point. What, what is MN, that? MN is mobile networks. Okay. Okay. Good. And, and maybe that's a good lead in, Will, to kind of how the company's set up today. But maybe just one minute on the background because you mentioned it. And Nokia has been around for about 155 years. They've had a history of reinventing themselves, which it's interesting because I was reading, this is timely, an article just last week. And it talked about how, if you look at the 
top 500 companies in the Fortune 500 list, how if you look 20 years ago, roughly, about 50% would not be there if you look today from 20 years ago. And that just shows you how companies have to change and reinvent along with business and the way the uh, industries go. And Nokia is no stranger to that. And like I said, a lot of reinvention of the company. It actually started as a paper mill operation, producing paper and rubber products way back when, before eventually, more recently, 50 plus years ago, finding a success in the cable business, shifting over to mobile devices. And a lot of you remember the Nokia handheld devices. And most recently, telecoms, telecommunications infrastructure equipment provider. And that's who we've been in the last few years. Interestingly enough, we've had a rebranding just this year at Mobile World Congress, which is a big telecom event in March. And it's been planned for a while, but the company came out with a rebranding really to focus on what we are today, which is an industry leader of a B2B technology innovation leader. And what that means is we're all about the future networks and how to provide that to our customers. So it's been an exciting few months in terms of that rebranding and taking that to the market, and it's been received pretty well. As far as the business goes, where we operate globally, about 130 countries, about 25 billion euro annual sales, leader in technology, obviously, and you can see that we've had about 4,500 patent families just essential to 5G and about nine Nobel laureates prizes along the way. So quite a history from a Nokia side and quite a transformation. We've got like four key business units that work across the portfolio. The first one is mobile networks, which is the radio access, microwave, and related services. Second one is network infrastructure, which is our IP networks, our fixed networks, and optical. And then cloud and network service is the third, which has a, supports the core networks. And then lastly, Nokia Technologies, which is really our patent technology licensing arm and portfolio. So that's how we're set up from a business group standpoint. And lastly, our go-to-market, our big customers are the CSPs or communications service providers, big names like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, et cetera. But we're also in the cable space and we're really growing on the enterprise space. And that's kind of the next segment to watch here. Pretty exciting stuff going on in that space and more to come. So that's a little bit about the company and hopefully that sets the scene for our discussion here, Will. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. It's pretty interesting in corporate history. In terms of the types of products that you are selling and the HL is helping you distribute, what would be an example? Yeah, I'll take that, Will, if that's okay. So really, the best way that I describe this to anybody, whether I'm giving a tour of the site or just talking to people about it, it's anything to make a telecommunications network work, really. So anything to get your mobile device, your iPad, MacBook, or, you know, non-Apple products as well, right, your Samsung tablet to work. That's really what we house and distribute. So it can be anything from zip ties to nuts and bolts up to like seven foot in diameter satellite dishes. And there's ice bridges for cell towers and radio base stations and battery backup units. And it's really a wide array of material, even to some smart home devices that Nokia distributes as well. So 
it's interesting. And that's what makes this customer and the product that we handle so unique because it varies in sizes and also weight, right? So it can be complicated to handle or very easy to handle. And that's just part of the dynamic of Nokia. Yeah, got it. How long has this relationship existed between Nokia and DHL? Yeah, this relationship has been like 20 plus years and it has started in different aspects. So it is a global customer for us. We handle, you know, transportation and as well as warehousing and then also even just some cross stock services too. So one of the unique things about the Dallas hub is we actually touch all of the different business units of Nokia, as well as all of the different services that we support within the hub. So it makes it very unique. Yeah, interesting. So Jothika, thinking about the Dallas hub in particular, because I think that's where you spend a lot of your thinking time. Can you describe sort of what it does for Nokia and its customers, and then how you think about the relationship with DHL to deliver to that end? Yeah, sure. Actually, before I really delve on the relationship aspect, what it does, what this uh, distribution center or hub, as we call it, does for Nokia is primarily distributing our products, not only to the customer centralized distribution centers, but also to the site set times, also to the drop off points, which are, you know, closer to the sites. So anything, as Erin mentioned, the array of products is right from a zip tie to a big antenna, whatever comes in between. So it could be like, you know, a bulk transportation done from our hub to our customer, like AT&T or T-Mobile, for instance, to their distribution center, which is like a national distribution center. And then it gets distributed from their side to the sites or to the drop off points. However, it could be also going directly to a site where we are shipping out a site-based equipment right from the hub itself, and it's going to get site developed there. And that would include a small to a big item as well. So it could be site-driven or it could be just bulk-driven product. Now, these products would come from our uh, various EMSs, uh, which is our manufacturing centers, OEM suppliers, or our other hubs where, you know, we are doing some kind of inventory adjustment or stock transfers. So it, it you know, from the, from the supply side, it could be various supply sources. And uh-huh. on the distribution side, it, could, it definitely goes to a customer, but it could be a customer site or a customer distribution center or even a Nokia project office for that matter. And just to clarify, when you say site, can you give an example of what that might be? Uh, a site could be a uh, straight where uh, the transmission tower is getting constructed. That could be straightaway site. And I think, uh, Tony, you can explain a site even much better than I can for that matter. Yeah, no, it could be, like Jessica said, it could be different things, but it's basically think of where the customer is putting that connection and that tower up. I mean, I think that's well said, Jessica. And I think just to add on what both... Yathika and Aaron said, I mean, it is unique here in terms of our operations, but I think that's because our customer base is so diverse, as I kind of explained up front. So our material requirements are different and customers have different requirements. So so part of the value here that we work with DHL is, like Aaron said, the sizes are different, the weights are different, and how we can work together to optimize that for quality on-time delivery of customers, but also doing it 
in a cost-effective way, that's really where the value of the partnership has come in. Secondly, you know, a lot of our material is is kind of unique to certain customers, and it's high dollar value, and it's important we have that quality, which I think we do, teaming with DHL, that nothing gets damaged, and you know, we're also able to work so we have on time delivery, and you know, hence the importance of quality. I mean, that really stands out in terms of what we've been able to partner with DHL and provide to our customers. So that dynamic in terms of the difference in terms of what the customer requirements keeps us all hopping, if you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested, Aaron, to hear from you a little bit about this. A lot of DHL's businesses, consumer packaged goods, you know, shipping cereal and pallets or cases into a, a grocery store, you know, pretty standard kinds of distribution and all of that's important and it has its own requirements, but it sounds like what DHL is doing for Nokia is quite different given all of what Tony and Javika outlined with respect to their kind of goods that are being handled and the customer requirements and the destination points for shipment. You know, from a service provider standpoint, do we have a lot of that that you draw on with your other DHL colleagues or is this sort of a one-off? How does it work? You asked earlier, really, you know, the evolution of this. So specific within the Dallas market, years ago, about 2016, Nokia acquired a company called Octel Lucent. And so we had DHL won some additional business. We had a small operation for their hardware services, which is really their reverse operation for the field network equipment that goes out for mobile networks and network infrastructure. We, DHL, were able to expand that into this OHUB operation, as Nokia calls it, and continue with hardware services relationships. So with that, there was a lot of volume. So you hear a lot about 5G And it was really gearing up for the 5G delivery. So you can't really turn on the TV now without hearing about it. And you can see it on your phones now when you have access to that network. There was a lot of volume. We were operating at that point in time out of three warehouses, about a million square feet in totality, just because of the amount of product that we were ramping in to support the carriers. So I actually joined the organization, DHL, that is, in 2018. So that the project had already started, but I do have a a significant background in telecommunications, both in infrastructure and handheld throughout my career in other logistics organizations. And so coming in, it was unique in the sense that we had to do a lot of different kidding. So Jodica and Tony talk about site kits and also delivering to distribution centers for customers themselves. So everyone requires different level of handling in the sense that if we're delivering to another regional distribution center or national distribution center for an AT&T or a Verizon or a T-Mobile, then, you know, we may have to package goods in a certain manner so they can store it, you know, in the most optimal, efficient way. So they want to unload the truck, they want to store it in their warehouse, and then be able to pick and pack and ship, you know, as quickly as anybody else would from a productivity standpoint. So you have that kind of level of deliveries and different potential kits that you're doing. Then, you know, to Jodica's point, you're dealing with cell site kits that you're going to deliver out into the market itself where it's going to go. So it could be something that's going to the top of a rooftop for installation down into a basement, into a normal server rack room, or it could be an antenna that's going to be in the middle of the field that's going to be installed. So all of those different kind of situations come up. So the different kit requirements or pre-site build. So we could pre-configure an antenna at the warehouse 
And it could be a seven foot long crate or a six foot long crate that we are taking different components and doing some light installation prior to it going out. Or it could be we are supporting a smaller carrier where Nokia works with them to have us upload software to their equipment. So once it gets out to the field, it's a plug and play. They don't have to wait for anything or tech doesn't have to come out. We could do some asset tagging. So with all these different carriers and and customers that we just talked about, once they purchase this material from Nokia, it becomes their asset. And to Tony's point, you could have a really small box that could cost $5,000. And then you can have a really big box that costs just a couple hundred Or you could have a cabinet that's like a $30,000 to a $50,000 unit in and of itself. The product varies in cost. And it's very, very important to understand the importance of the materials that we're handling. And then each one can't be tipped. So there might be a tilt monitor on it, right, for transportation and storage that if you tilt it too much, the components in it can get messed up. So it's, you know, asset tagging, handling is all very unique to the specific equipment. And then hypothetically, if you're asset tagging, it could be different for every customer. So just like anybody, everybody wants the most optimal, productive operation. So sometimes end customers push their requirements to Nokia to say, hey, no, you have to do this because it's going to make it easier for us. And, and rightfully so that to make their experience better. So we really look at ourselves as an extension of Nokia. So we will participate with Nokia and those solutioning or those design requirement sessions um, and, and work with the end customer on, okay, what is it that you want and what does this look like? And then provide options to Nokia to then ultimately present to their end customers. To your point, people think warehousing logistics in and out, but really, specifically, you find this a lot in the technology sector. It's you have widgets, but then what are you doing with the widget? Because it's not just box in, box out, pallet in, pallet out. It really is high touch high value products that you are doing some sort of enhancement to get it out of the site. So DHL prides itself on being, you know, part of an everyday life and really understanding how in in the bigger picture we are affecting the things that we do. So really getting out to the teams on the floor and explaining one, the importance of the equipment that we handle, because it is really important, right? We allow people to communicate, learn, get information, that's what the equipment and the warehouse is doing. So it, it's it's a it's an integral part of just life in general and information exchange and communication. So once they kind of understand the importance and how it can affect, you know, hospitals and governments and teaching and school and work, they really started to be like, hey, this is pretty cool. And that's how important it is that we do. And then explaining to them, you know, the cost of the material and how it's important to handle it with care and to make sure that we are making sure that we get the right product to the right place on time and making sure that we break it down into tangible aspects for the workforce. And that's really built this culture of one, understanding, care, pride in what they do and wanting to provide those solutions for Nokia. And I think the great thing about Nokia being such a diverse organization that they are and and the different aspects that they work within. And then just also the fact that they're global as well. Everybody gets to have a voice. So we get some of our best recommendations on how to optimize, whether it's packaging or a shipment or a truck or how to change a process or how to streamline a process from the associates on the floor. And I think that partnership of 
communication, openness, transparency has really cultivated that environment for us to all be successful. Yeah, so I wanted to follow up with you, Jopika, on the people part, because at the end of all of this, you know, despite process and technology, it's people who ultimately have to deliver every day. How does Nokia think about and work with DHL on the associate engagement front? The labor market's been tight and tough over the last couple of years. How have you come at it and where have you been successful or maybe what lessons have you learned along the way? Yeah, I think from Nokia perspective, uh, we definitely would want as our operations are complex in nature and there is a certain amount of time taken to train people, we would not want DHL to lose people in the labor market is today here in um, Texas or even all over. I think that has been a success story as far as this Dallas Hub operation is concerned, because I think from the technical know-how perspective, we have not really lost people. You know, I think you can comment more on this as well, because it's like, you know, your team and people who are working there and the kind of uh, culture you cultivated there. But, you know, from the deliverables perspective, we definitely would not want people to go or that technical know-how to go and then take, you know, again, the learning cycle takes time and we would not want our quality to suffer. So one, as I just mentioned, the time to deliver the goods, then the quality and, of course, the cost over and above that. So that quality was one piece where we at Nokia, we would not compromise. Neither of our customers would compromise. And we, we've had many, many incidents in the past where, uh, you know, we had nightmarish scenes on the quality of the products and the quality of packaging and the quality of the goods received at our customer site. And I think over a period of time, uh, it's evolved, you know, definitely. Uh, and you can talk about the culture you cultivated, you know, your organization to have People would want to work for DHL. Yeah. So I, I think it goes back to communication. I believe that the more open, transparent that you can be with your team and your customer, the more successful you're going to be because you're going to understand what the real need is and also what the voice of the customer is, like where you stand in relation to them. So from the DHL standpoint, Jataka's right. I mean, we had some some very challenging times that we've had to overcome and Tony and his team just dealing with the customers, they also understand that to the point where now you know, we do get a lot of kudos from the end customers on our service delivery and quality. And how that happened was just really breaking it down to the team and explaining and also making it relevant to them. So very early on. So when I started with the organization, I was the general manager for the operation and the facility. So I had the direct responsibility for the success of the operation on a day-to-day standpoint. So it was getting out on the floor and explaining to them, hey, if, 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 this was your iPhone, as an example, or your Samsung phone. And if you were throwing a box around, or if you weren't paying attention to it being right, and it went out wrong, or if you weren't getting it on time, or if you ordered something for your child for their 16th birthday, how would you feel about it if, if it didn't arrive on time, or if it arrived damaged, or if you got the wrong color, or if you got the wrong type? And then when people really started like kind of connecting the dots, like, hey, that's a big deal, right? Like I just spent $1,000 on a phone and it's not right. 
well, it's no different than the equipment that we deliver. So breaking it down to them in, in a manner where they understand the impact that they have, and then also making it fun. So we do a ton of site activities. There's something very simple and childlike about watching adults come together and get creative together. So we do different like game shows where we'll do like deal or no deal or the price is right, where we'll bring different like products out, like as an example for the price is right, we'll bring a product out and then have people guess what the cost of it is. So they can understand the magnitude of the material that they're handling and that hey, it's a big deal that this really small box that if it's not handled properly could get lost or damaged or run over with a forklift or what have you. And so when we make it fun for them, they want to engage. And then part of that engagement, Jataka, other members of the Nokia team have come to the hub and participated in different activities. We also do a lot of volunteer type work where, you know, we'll clean up parks in the Louisville area, which is where our site's located. But then we'll do blood drives and we do, you know, shelter drives and toy drives. And Nokia has really supported us in that because they've seen what a highly engaged team can be when we're making things more than just about the day-to-day work, right? And the bigger picture and how we support our communities in the places where we work and live, which is what DHL wants to do, right? We want to make it a bigger deal than just what we're doing today. And so when, when you're giving the team, here's how you're affecting things on top of it, we also have something called the CXM survey. So that survey gets sent out to our customers so we can get feedback. And that is, that's information that we give to the team. So in our town halls and our pre-shift meetings, we provide, hey, this is what the customer said. And, and sometimes it's, it's awesome. And sometimes it's challenging, but we have to face the brutal facts and understand, hey, can we look ourselves in the mirror and know that we in fact did everything we possibly could to make that experience good for the customer. And if not, then we have some work to do. And so having those very open, honest, transparent, and can we lay our head down at night knowing that we did everything, that's the culture that we've built at the site. That's the culture that Nokia has supported the leadership team at the site in. And once we were able to do that, I mean, I think we all enjoy working with each other. I think we've we've been lucky enough to have some, you know, more than just, you know, working relationships with people because we we have a mutual respect for each other. Mentorship within, if you will, you know, within the different ranks of Nokia and different people that we can reach out to and talk to. So I would say that we really do look at each other as an extension of the other, or I hope that, you know, Nokia agrees with that. But yeah, get, getting a pie on the face right. was good fun. <laughs> right. What's that? <laughs> that was pre-COVID days, so I, I will never forget that for sure. <laughs> yeah, so we did a fundraiser and one of the activities was pie in the face. So all the hourly associates could buy different tickets for our fundraising event where you could, at the end, it was if you paid so much money for a ticket, you could throw a pie in the face of both Jataka and I. I mean, that's really the relationship that we've built within our organizations. That says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, Erin, you touched based on openness and transparency because these are the core values for Nokia as well. And that's where I think if, you know, uh, both the organizations have similar core values, it's bound to work then. Yeah, otherwise it would not. 
Yeah. Okay. So Tony, I wanted to just turn back to you. Obviously, a lot of energy in the relationship and a lot of years. What are your reflections on the the conversation today? Yeah, it, it's very evident, the passion, which I think goes a long way to why we're successful together. So that's good. I, I think just in summary, Will, I think, you know, the market continues to evolve. It's a dynamic market, as you heard. We'll continue to see customer changes and technology changes. You know, for instance, on the customer side, we'll probably see more growth on the enterprise business and some of the customers there are smaller in nature. So they'll likely bring in some different requirements, nothing that we're not used to as as you heard on the call. So we'll work together and partner to figure out how to work that for the customer. And it's good to have the willingness of our DHL partner to succeed there. And Aaron made a really good comment earlier that, you know, we see the same way that DHL is an extension of the business for us and kind of seamless in nature in terms of how we provide to our customers. And that's the way we want it to be. And that's the way it should be. So that's a sign of a good partnership also. You know, we'll also see some technology changes and and we need to continue to evolve and and lean on our partnership to uh, facilitate that as we go 5G to 5G advanced to 6G and the like. That's something I'm sure we'll work together. Lastly, I think you heard clearly the uh, importance of trust and transparency and ongoing communications, which I think are strong, and also backbones of the culture, both companies. So I think we're alike there, and I think that bodes well for continued success. And, and like I said, just in closing, you know, with that partnership, I think it's so important we can leverage that, and we're going to have ebbs and flows in the business. And when we do have some challenging times, we work together to overcome that. We certainly saw that in the supply chain disruptions over the last two or three years. You know, all the planning that has been done amongst our teams has been critical to maybe overcoming some of those challenges on the front end of the supply chain and being successful to our customers on delivery on the back end. So that's really worked well. And I think with the partnership and the culture and what we have set up, we can continue to work through that and and grow when we see some peaks in the business. So looking forward to continued partnership with DHL and uh, support our customer base and and grow together. So thanks for the time, Will. Well, I think this has been a really interesting discussion amongst us. And clearly it comes through loud and clear, the intimacy that you guys have in working with each other and helps me understand at least a lot better why that site performs at the level it does. So I really appreciate you all being with us today and wish you luck. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also re-listen to our entire library of episodes on our website, dhl.com forward slash A-B-N-B podcast. See you next time.